0: Hey y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And y'all, I just want to start at the top. This episode is your fault. It just is. We were going to come in here with a sort of reasoned, helpful, sensible topic. Talk about something that might help us all in our hobby process. Don't you lie,
1: we are feral
0: goblin creatures, Joseph. (laughs) I mean, we were trying to do a sensible episode, okay? We really were going to give it our best. But since we put out the last upload, all of the response has been on this little rant we did about Legend of the Five Rings, uh, which is great. Like, I, I'm glad you had fun as I unhinged my brain. But really, like, the feedback was, we want to hear more of that. So you know what? Forget about it. Not helpful. Instead, this is going to be an episode where we talk about and wish list three IPs apiece that do not have a tabletop war game but that we really, really think should have a tabletop war game. Because I think there are more things out there that are primed for this than you would expect. Some of them even big name stuff that do not have any sort of tabletop war game presence, but entirely could if they wanted to. And, you know, given some stuff that's been going on in the actual, like, hobby space, not just ours, but in general, like tabletop space, uh, they could maybe in the future, if we're lucky, one day have one. But first, hobby time and games played.
1: Alright, John, what you been up to? Does packing up my shit, um, count as hobby time to, to move again? Uh, I do believe the answer is yes. All right, cool. That's what I've been doing hobby wise.
0: (laughs) I was so glad you brought so much depth to this
1: segment, John. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've run an infinite well of, of, you know, work I've done. Now, um, in hobby news, I guess like I'm kind of refocusing uh, on what I'm going to work on for the rest of the year, Mm -hmm. like to not overbook myself with hobby. Like, it's probably going to be mostly Seraphon, probably going to work on some Star Wars Legion stuff, Mm -hmm. while I patiently wait for World Eaters. I was just going to say, World Eaters are on the horizon, my dude. Yeah. And, like, the new... We've seen the new Berserker, going to get that. Like, but... I'm going to play some Dark Angels and Horse Heresy, because, you know, I'm a plebeian. But... I think... Waiting to... Not jump into every pool at the same time would be a good idea, and instead just, like, doing it in pieces. Yes, chop your body up, throw each limb in one pool. And, like, I'm gonna try to take it slow. Like, I know the world leader stuff's gonna come out, and I'm gonna be itching to, like, build it all and play it, like, immediately, but I think I'm instead going to try to take the slow path. Uh, yeah.
0: I, it's funny you say that, I was literally having the same thoughts about squats, that, like, when they drop, I'm probably just gonna take them one unit at a time.
1: Yeah, like, I would love to do the thing that, the old way of doing it, like, when I first started this thing, where we both just kind of get some troops and maybe a couple of HQs, and we play a couple of games, and then we go out and buy the units we think are neat, put them together, and then play some more games. Mm Mm-hmm. The slowest of slow grow, if you will. Yeah, like, not even super structured, just be like, hey, man, we're gonna play, like, 500-point games for these couple of months, and then next couple of months, play 1,000-point games. Get whatever the fuck you want. Like, we'll just play some games. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a bad way to
0: do it. Both for my wallet and just for the hobby load. Like, yeah. Trying to like, Crus- paying a whole Crusade's damn army. A-
1: that's a lot. Yes. And also, like Crusade's a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of bookkeeping. Yeah, and kinda I just want to learn the army without the Crusade rules. Because the Crusade rules add a bunch of extra mechanic and stuff. And I kind of just want to learn how to play the, the thing.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fair. I don't blame you.
1: And um, as we've talked about... 9th edition is a ton of rules.
0: Yeah, it is a bit cumbersome. I, I can't argue that. I don't. It. I think it happened slowly over time, but it's now just a lot, which makes me think they might, you know, scorch the earth and go back down to ground zero when tenth edition drops. At this point, I goddamn hope. Uh, that's gonna feel real bad for whoever gets the last codex. Uh, it's probably going to be World Eaters. <laughs> Congrats, World Eaters. You have a new codex. <laughs> and in six months, your codex is useless.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, if we hear any sort of like big things about that, I'm sure we'll talk about it here. And like when World Eaters comes out, you know, damn bippy, we're going to end up doing a ton of content about it. Because I love World Eaters and uh, Joseph wants to hear me screech about uh, sad dad stuff. Just a whole episode of Sad Dad Angry
0: Cries. Yeah. 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 Just... Uh, what a time. Um, anything else you've sort of got on your horizon?
1: Um, not really. Honestly. Like, uh, looking at playing some new games. That's about it. Uh, it's been kind of hard to get out of the hobby slump with Games Workshop stuff. Get out for a little bit and then kind of fell right back in. So... Mm-hmm. Just trying to find it where I can. What about you? What have you been working
0: on? I have actually had a very, very busy uh, hobby time for the past few weeks. I have been, uh, I don't know, I guess I sort of came out of the slump gently. And uh, it has been going really well. Uh, Last episode I mentioned how I was printing a full army for our buddy Tanner. Uh, A whole damn army's printed. Done. Uh, Ready to go. So I've got his full 2,000 plus points of uh, Osiaric Bone roopers printed and ready to hand over to him. Uh, And then I turned my attention towards the Sylvaneth. Uh, Because I think last episode I talked a little bit about how I was working on a test paint scheme for Sylvaneth Force. And I was kind of just feeling my way through it little bets at a time. And, uh, well, that test print went really, really well. So I went ahead and put it on a tree-lord ancient. Oh, uh, let's see. What else did I do? Okay, yeah. So it was a tree-lord ancient, and then three more Kernoth hunters, this time with sides. And then I put it on a stand-in model for an arch, uh, a Warsong Revenant. Yes. Yeah, it's the guy with emo dude with flute. I printed uh, Oh, yes. Emo dude with flute. <laughs> Got to be one of my favorite genders. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of them. Um. Yeah, I printed out a proxy for him and got that built up. I instead made him a terrible, awful, skull-faced forest abomination. Uh, Put the color scheme on that. Uh, Put that on Instagram. People really interested. Although, I didn't put the painted picture up on Instagram. Damn it, me. Um, I also then primed, zenithal, highlighted, and undershaded a spirit of Durthu and Dreycha. Because why not? Um, so I am hurtling my way through Sylvaneth rather quickly, which has been delightful. Um, I also got a couple of games in with, uh, our friend Josh. Uh, he's just getting into Age of Sigmar and he wanted to play his first games to kind of get his head around the mechanics that he's been reading about in the books. So he came over and we played two games with, uh, he had a 600 point force that he's going to use for Path to Glory. So he brought that, and then I played two different armies against him. The first game was 600 points of Flesh Eater Quartz. And it was a brutal, brutal, bloody match. Uh, that unfortunately, after him chuffing just the worst save rolls I have seen in a long, 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 long time, he was obliterated rather quickly. But it's okay. Spirits were high. Learned a lot of stuff, so, uh, we rolled into a second game where it was Sylvaneth versus, uh, his Ideneth, and I brought four models to the table. That's it. Four. And he brought 22, 23? And we had what was one of the most fun games I've played in a long time, uh, Obviously, he had me, way, way had me on bodies. But uh, I was able to try to use some tactics to leverage him and hop around the field to still try to fight for objectives despite only being four models. And uh, in the end, it was a very, very close Silver Death victory that went the entire length of the game. Uh, we went right up to the minute. My uh, single hero was down to one wound. Uh, his hero was fully fresh, but the rest of his army had died, so I just ended up winning on objectives, but my god, what a fight. Uh, and it was really cool to help him learn, because I think he walked away really excited to play his Iduneth in his, uh, Path to Glory campaign, while also learning a lot of the base mechanics rather quickly, which was really nice to see. Uh, and also that meant I got to play with the new silver Death book for the first time and holy shit was that a blast?
1: The new forest mechanics are so good so so good yeah they seem much more playable and like yeah I don't know, I don't know how else to put it other than just it, lo- it looks like it makes the game more fun and less finicky.
0: uh yes, it felt infinitely better than what I'm used to in all the right ways. So, uh, yeah, I had a blast with Sylvaneth, and after that, I just sort of got inspired to keep on painting them, so I got a whole lot of shit painted. Uh, the Durthu and Dreycha aren't done yet. Uh, I've still gotta, like, put, uh, vine colors on them, and then do their magic... Well, for Durthu, a magic weapon. For Dreycha, her beehives. But... Yeah, I've, uh... Had a hell of a progress for... Painting. Uh... Oh, and then in other minor news, my knights finally got here after, you know, a month and a half of waiting. So I have built a, one of my armagers so I can get ready to try to paint it. And I've just got to put some magnets in it before it is ready to be primed and painted. And then I've got to uh, put together, what, two more armagers, I think? Yeah, two more for my 1,000 point list and magnetize them all. So I'm having a a whole bunch of progress over here. Although some of my progress was stymied because of my 3D printer breaking in the weirdest way that I'm just gonna have to try to fix with two pairs of vice grips. Like I went to go take the nut off of one of the stems of the vat and the actual inner stem is spinning. Along with the nut. So, like, there's no way for me to twist it off. So I have to, like, go get a pair of vice grips, put it on the stem, hold it still, and then get another pair of vice grips, put it on the nut, and twist it to try to pop this thing loose. Huh. Yeah. Weird. It's never done that. I have no
1: idea what happened. But something got in there. I mean, I cleaned and disassembled my printer, uh, last weekend, and, uh... I also dealt with some weirdness while doing it. They're weird. They're weird little machines sometimes. Mm-hmm. It, it's okay. I'll get it fixed and
0: back to running. It's not a huge deal. It's just a bit of a pain. I would only have one pair of vice grips
1: because, you know, I'm a normal human being, but now I'm just going to go buy a second pair. Man, yeah. you bought the second pair. Now you're going to buy a third and a fourth. Now you're going to have a pair of vice grips everywhere inside of your house in your glove box and also one for every pair of jeans you own just treating it like I treat flashlights. Just ice grips yes. and flashlights everywhere and pocket knives. You got to have everybody knows like you by the time you're 30, ever grown man needs to have 13 pocket knives, 47 flashlights, 17 channel locks and like 12 ice grips.
0: I don't make the rules. You just learn that you got to be prepared for whatever life could throw at you and apparently every problem can be solved with those particular tools. Yes. What a time. Um <laughs> yeah so it's a weird little problem i know how to fix it because at least it's a simple problem it's just a, a pain it's a tiny pain so what that's on my list for this week uh to get that fixed um but yeah otherwise man i've had a jam-packed hobby time which is a, a nice feeling compared to where i was in the slump uh a month or two ago Oh, and also, after we get done recording today, I'm going to run up to an Ikea so I could get a display cabinet that I've been waiting to come into stock for months. So, uh, I'm gonna call that hobby as well. I mean, it's directly for displaying minis, so it counts. But, uh, I think that's pretty much it. And it all kind of blends together uh, during this time of year. There's so much going on, but yeah, I'm looking forward to putting stuff up, and I'll put the painted Forest Abomination on Instagram a little later today. Absolutely, I'm sure everyone will be very excited to see it. I hope so. I'm really proud of how it turned out. But Seth, play the music. All right, John. We've had our sort of mellow, toned-down, reasonable section. Uh, and now we're leaving that land and we're heading to the realm of make-believe and wish-listing. John. Yeah. Let's talk about this damn thing. I guess we'll start with just the most minor amount of, uh, let's call it hedging, where at the start of this, we wanted to take a brief second to explain why there aren't some of these things and why there maybe aren't more tabletop war games uh, before then we dive into the actual meat and potatoes.
1: Yeah, because, like, it seems like a real simple thing, right? Like, put out a bunch of plastic army men with, like, a pamphlet of rules that's anywhere between four to 400 pages long. And then, like, bada-bing, bada-boom, you got money, baby. But it's not quite that simple. No, not at all. I wish it was. But it is a little
0: harder of an endeavor than you would think. Um, so, I guess, first and foremost, for the stuff we're going to be talking about, uh, they are IPs that already exist. And to the best of my knowledge, they aren't, like, open source. Like, they are owned by an IP holder. And I would presume if you were going to make a war game using that IP, you would have to give some percentage to the IP holder. I don't know what that percentage is. I am not that guy. But the first reason I think that you don't see more of these is because you do have to give a significant portion of your profits to someone else who isn't
1: helping the process other than nodding their head. Yes, you can use the stuff. Yeah. Like that's a, a significant portion of why we end up having settings that are not attached to things that you already know or are well established from like indie developers. Yeah.
0: I mean, when your margins are already small, a percentage can really hurt you, unfortunately. Um, and I think that's the second reason why you don't really see a lot of these is that, this is normally a niche, lower-margin income source. You know, you're just not going gangbusters on it. Unlike you know, mobile games, for example, if you're selling little gotcha games, you put in very little effort. You make buku, 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 buku dollars uh, with microtransactions. It seems appealing, so more businesses are going to get into that. Here, it's kind of the opposite. It is a ton of effort to make these war game rules and to keep them updated and you don't have all of these like predatory well i won't say you don't have all of them there are some they're trying to do but for the most part you don't have the same level of predatory microtransaction to make all of that money back so it is a lower margin to a smaller community on top of that Um,
1: and if you look at like look at gw right and like Actually, sit down and calculate how much money you've spent on a GW game, like, or the average person would probably who plays a game would spend on GW stuff over the year. I venture to say most people aren't buying something every month, or if they are, it's like one thing. Now compare that to like the average person who buys video games like as their primary hobby. Mm -hmm. A video game enjoyer, I'll say, will um probably spend about $120 a month on games. That's assuming that there's like two good games that come out per year, per month that they want to play. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you think some, like the average, like of the people we know that play Warhammer, go out and spend $120 on Warhammer a month? No, God no. There's just not as much money in it. And that's one of the reasons why GW's prices end up being so high is because it is the primary source of income for their, like it's for their IP. That's why they're. it's pretty clear they're trying to expand their IPs to be more than just selling plastic miniatures. It's just not the profitable part of it anymore. Yeah, uh, the margins just aren't high. And if there's not
0: a huge margin there, you know, for big companies who are only looking at lines on a spreadsheet, it's probably less appealing of an endeavor to try to go for as opposed to another video game or something.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like how with Star Wars, whenever they, like, yeah, the movies did great, But they made most of their money off the toys, not the movies themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, And then
0: I think also, combine that with what I think is a third point that is important, is that not only are the margins not super high, and most of these things require licensing, but combine that with a high logistics load of trying to move around these skews of minis, with ongoing release cycles and rules... And altogether
1: that becomes really taxing on top of difficult on top of like a already very strained logistics problems in modern world. Like yes. I work in logistics. So like I get to see a lot of it. There's a shitload load of logistics problems. And I venture to say that most companies that can avoid making a physical product are right now. Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, it- this is not a great time to try to send out a bunch of skews of little tiny plastic toys that are all over the place. That's, whew, that's a little rough. So like, whole, on the whole, it's, it's not like the most money-making endeavor you could do if you're a large company. And most of the people who hold these large IPs are bigger companies who are looking for bigger investments and bigger ROIs. <laughs> but... Now that that's out of the way, I really don't give a damn what their profit margins would be or how feasible it is. Uh, I purely just want to talk about the things I think would be
1: really, really cool uh, to have on a little tabletop somewhere. Yeah, in the immortal words of uh, somebody, uh, fuck them. Capitalism sucks. These are neat IPs that I've gotten from other corporations that I want to talk about as as actual games. Yes, for
0: the love of God. So, we got three apiece that I think are actually pretty good. Um, Mine in particular, I feel very strongly about. Uh, The third one will not surprise anyone who listened to last week's show. But, John, why don't you
1: start us off? What's your first one? Well, um, I've got three, like you said, Joseph. Uh, I changed my last one, and that's a little surprise for you, Joe, when we get to it. Ooh, spicy. Okay. Yeah, but my first one is going to be pretty pretty easy most people are going to recognize it um i think as a fantasy setting that would be very cool is world of warcraft as Ah, a tabletop skirmish game of sorts uh for those of you who knew the world of warcraft trading card game it was out they had this really cool raid way of playing the game where instead of just fighting each other as heroes you could fight like this big arch enemy which is a lot of fun i think that would be a fun thing to have as like a Four friends fight one friend game mode, right? For this miniatures game mm-hmm. that is skirmish based where you build a hero, a team of heroes, like five heroes that are all based around like the different classes um, from the actual game or like heroes from the actual game where like you pick upgrades to pick like what their things are and then you put the little heroes on, you fight. It's like kind of like D&D, but bigger. Mm-hmm. They're all um.
0: Cad Bane, not Cad Bane, uh, oh, Bane Bloodhoof, there we go. Um, Yeah. My brain went Cad Bane, I'm like, no, that's a gunslinger next to Thrall. Uh, I'm here for it, Vol'jin, Sylvanas,
1: you know, all the named characters that you know and some of them love. Yeah, and then have, like, the the ability to make your own version with your own named heroes, so you can make, maybe if you play the game online, you can now play the game physically. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that'd be a, I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think it'd be really cool.
0: And there are multiple factions and races you could kind of pluck from, which could give you interesting subfactions.
1: And it's always expanding, and there's a a very deep well of lore to pull from. I think that there's a lot of play in that content. Well, and also
0: uh it's an easily recognizable name, which let's be honest, matters when you're trying to get a foothold in the market. Um like Star Wars Legion, for example, don't get me wrong. It is a crisp, fun, really good rule set. But we cannot deny that part of what made it big was that it was Star Wars. So people
1: recognized it off the bat. Yeah. And,
0: and I think, I think that, World of
1: Warcraft would do the same. Yeah. And I also think World of Warcraft has the benefit of it being like their story, their lore is not extremely good. Like it is very akin to like something like a Marvel Mm-hmm. Or like a DC where it's it's digestible, like it is relatable. It is like Sunday, Saturday morning cartoons and like comic book superhero smash them up. Yeah, it's not like like a berserk or like a very niche section. Like it's very broad, and I think that it helps as well because then it feels like heroes and like big bombastic heroes and big bombastic villains punching each other, which can be lots of like dumb fun which is a great time yeah uh that sounds awesome
0: uh for me my first one is i'm actually going to change up the order because john i was thinking about my three and i think my number one has more gas than my number two does shockingly um so my first one that i'm going to throw out there is gears of war uh you know it's a series that i absolutely adore i've been playing it since The Xbox 360, when I was younger, I have read the books, I dived deep into the lore, I still think the games are incredible. Uh, But I think this would actually be a fun game to put on a tabletop, and you could put it in size between a skirmish game and a full-scale war game. I think like a Legion size would probably be best, like five-man squads for the most part.
1: But, yeah, like five-man squads with maybe a vehicle or two. Yeah, yeah, with, like, not the huge vehicles, but, you know, we've seen
0: some that roll around in the game I think would be cool, Uh, and you could set up a faction system, Uh, you know, you got the COG, you got the Outsiders, you got the Locust, you got the Lambent, the UIR, all of that stuff, and you could pick your faction which would have its own faction rules and then pick from models that we've seen in the lore from each of those factions you build yourself a little force you get a couple of hqs bada boom bada bing you're on the table start fighting and what i think is really important is that if you make it a smaller board size it could feel more close quarters as the games always did like let's be honest when you play gears of war you're not 360 no scope sniping from 200 yards away like even when you use the sniper rifle you are not very far you're just far by gears of war terms because they designed it to be close for a reason and i think you could do the same thing with the war game uh to make it feel closer and then incentivize sort of like brutal murderous combat gibleting opponents much like you did in the actual game and have a reward system for uh, models doing, like, terrible, brutal executions on other units to, like, when you think Gears of War, you probably think of the Lancer and the Chainsaw Bayonet, like, sticking it into the guts of some locust and pulling it up and bisecting it and halves falling in both directions. Do that. Like, <laughs> it's one of the things that the XCOM Gears of War game... Did really well is like if you got a brutal melee execution, you got an extra action. Because you had to put yourself in danger to get it. And uh, I think if you port that to the tabletop game, to where you get bonuses for like really getting in there and brutalizing someone in melee to finish them off, you get an extra action. What a fun time back and forth that would be. Of like using your opponent's low health units to leapfrog forward murder them get another action fire at another unit just oh I think it could be so cool I don't know if we'll ever see it but I think it would be really really fun and I would build a cog force so
1: fast your head would spin I'll play the fuck out of it to be completely honest like I I also love the like mine was going to also be Gears of War until Joseph said it like pre-recording talking about it I was like Mm -hmm. god damn it stole my idea (laughs) (laughs) Could you
0: imagine like walking down the field and fighting some locusts and you're like, man, my buddy didn't really bring many models, and then he deep strikes in a corpse?
1: Yeah, oh my it's god, me. <laughs> I'm the bastard! <laughs> 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 oh
0: god, I'd shit my britches.
1: <laughs> exactly, I also think they would just be a blast to paint, and they're very stylistic, like, the game has a very specific style to it. It does. Us in the wargaming sphere is already a little used to with the big shoulders and the big men with big feelings. And the creatures that are horrifying. That's the
0: core of Gears of War is giant men
1: with giant feelings. Yes, fighting giant monsters that love crafty and psychopaths. It's my perfect flavor. Uh, Huge fan. Yeah, and you
0: could get... I think the models would actually be really cool. You could make them a little larger in scale, but... You know, you have, like, the little blue LED lights you could do cool OSL lighting on if you wanted to. They would take really well to a grimdark style of painting with, like, heavy washes and stuff. Really tone that color down. Splatter, like, fake blood effects all over them. Put, like, sticky Uhu glue, uh, blood red gore residue on the chainsaw blades dripping to the ground. Ugh. It'd be awesome, y'all. Awesome. Huge fan. 10 out of 10. Want it. Would play again. Would play yeah. all all the time. Uh, yeet every other mini into the sun. Okay, well, I, don't, I don't know about that because I have another thing in here that I would probably actually yeet all my other minis into the sun for. But That's true. That's later. true. Um, all right, John, what's your number two?
1: Well, speaking of Xbox exclusives, um... <laughs> <laughs> we uh, both loved Xbox. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think Halo lends itself to, like the entire Halo universe lends itself to a very capable war game. I mean, we, we've seen Halo Wars. Right? I was just
0: going to say, like, they kind of toyed with the concept at a different
1: level with Halo Wars. And yeah. which was incredible, by the way. And, like, we know they like making Halo toys because look at all the Halo Legos. So, and, and Microsoft has, like, buku bucks. I think this one could actually be a thing, maybe, mm-hmm. if the market was big enough for it. And we see that the hobby space, people want it. Like, there's loads of people out there on Reddit who make, like, Halo armies where they 3D mm-hmm. print, like, Halo figures, and they use them as, like, stand-ins for, like, Imperial Guard. Yeah,
0: Spartans that I've seen many ODST forces. Um, I think as, they would like, look like, pest Science.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that there's gas in that tank. But similarly to the Gears of War thing, I think it would make more sense as a Legion-based, like, sized game, where, like, you might bring one or two vehicles... Like maybe a one tank or like maybe multiple warthogs, but not like 40k where you're like, here's my four tanks and my six squads and my seven characters. Like, mm-hmm. I think having a smaller board and a smaller game is more fitting.
0: Yeah, um, I think if you go bigger, it kind of will become hard to break into the market. Uh, but I think Legion has kind of pit forged a path that shows a sweet spot for a new game coming in that priced appropriately, having a smaller sized game makes people more likely to give it a whirl. Uh, like same if thing you... for like uh, Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire. Like it is cheaper, but also the armies are smaller, which makes you more likely to be like, eh, I'll give it a try. You know, I don't have to spend $800
1: of minis. Yeah. But... Like if I can walk up to a buddy that I know plays Halo has read all the halo novels and it's just like it's kind of their thing and I go, hey, you know how you really like like the the humans I want to play the covenant and I'm gonna get like a bunch of aliens to fight your humans and we can both get this done with like a starter box a hundred bucks and we can play this right now I there's so many people who would hop on that. Because there's such a time between the Halo games and those people stay, like, invested. Forever. They would I absolutely mean, play this.
0: Yeah, especially, I mean, like, one you get, like, if he gets to play Master frickin' Chief and you get to play the Arbiter, like, <laughs> it's so good. You could actually put yes. cool characters on the battlefield um, alongside these armies that we all know and love. And you bet your bottom dollar, if I play Covenant... Every time you shot my grunts, I'd scream,
1: "Run away! Run away!"
0: Uh, just uh, so good,
1: making terrible and, pug noises at the table as you target them. And I'm gonna take a moment from this this hypothetical argument to say, like, I think these can happen. These become more likely to happen in the future because we're currently dealing like dealing with this situation where like board games and D and E are getting increasingly more popular. Yeah, they particularly are particularly with a younger generation, and for me at least, and most people I know, it starts with like D and D and board games and like Magic, and then like five to ten years later, you're like, oh, I'm gonna play some fucking miniatures. Hell what yeah, to I'm. Me? A, I'm getting old. I don't want to go out and do dumb stuff. I'm gonna sit inside. I'm gonna paint little figurines. I'm gonna play them against my buddy I've known since I was seven. Like, <laughs> that's a thing that happens, and I think that is more likely to happen in the future. But if I'm being honest, I think a lot of the audience that is, like, into D&D right now wouldn't really be into Warhammer and Age of Sigmar particularly. I I mean, you've seen some people try to get into it, but there's it's a hard thing to, like, break through to. It's it's easy to bounce off something that colossal. Yeah, and not only is it, like, a colossal lore dump but the setting itself is a little dark for some folks and on top of all of that from a rules standpoint they're rough from a model standpoint they're rough they are not what i would call beginner friendly tabletop war games mm-hmm. like i would call them hard games to get into from the sheer investment yeah so i think as the 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 game gaming sphere grows and we get more games and we get more ips then in here, you're going to see a change in like small and having smaller, more Legion style games, which I think are better for the mass consumer audience. Maybe not like people like you and me who are just super into war games, mm-hmm. but like average Joe can probably fit some room on a shelf for a, a force of Halo dudes that's maybe 50 miniatures top, top at most. Yeah. And that's with having options for units to pop in and out of the army. Yeah, and all of
0: which he spent maybe two hundred fifty bucks total, like, on his whole force, over the course of like six months or something, as he got into this cool thing for a little bit. Uh, Yeah, I think it's a much easier pitch, and even more easy. Like, and I think it's an even easier pitch for skirmish games. My God, Uh, my next one that I'm gonna pitch is skirmish, and uh, I think there's something to it, like. The smaller the scale, the less money, the easier it is to hop into. And add a really likable IP on top of that. And I think some of these
1: aren't as far-fetched as they would have been 15 years ago. Like, I don't think any new IP comes into this sphere doing the GW thing. Like, GW is so well-established, they can look at you and go, Horse heresy, 3,000 points, 200 models on the table. And people will do it. Mm -hmm. Like, hell, I'll do it. Like same thing with like Skaven and Age of Sigmar and like all this other stuff because they're supposed to be these kind of colossal games. Right? Yeah. I don't think new games are going to come in and, and try to do that. I think that's too risky of a business proposition for them. So. Yeah, it just seems unlikely.
0: But I think the, the what we're pitching here is more at
1: the appropriate level of actually this could work by God. Yeah. But tell me about this skirmish game you got. I know what you're going to say, Joe, but I wanted you to hear it. Sure.
0: So, for people out there, much like the Legend of the Five Rings thing I talked about last time, I am oftentimes really inspired by wonderful settings and lore. And for me, growing up, my favorite lore for any tabletop game or um, sort of like books that I ever read was a RPG called World of Darkness. And... World of Darkness, the general premise is that it takes place in modern day world. Well, yeah, the book was written in like 1995, so it's a little dated now, but the concept is it takes place in our modern day world. But everything that has ever gone bump in the night exists. And within this large setting, they have sub, they have like books you can play of different sort of communities that exist in these dark nights and you make characters existing in these big expansive worlds trying to make your place amongst treacherous villainous vile creatures to survive and accomplish your goals and these books were really good um, each one was sort of like their own sub-rpg some of which got really popular like if you've ever heard of Vampire the Masquerade, where you play a vampire in modern day knights from a different clan trying to exist in this Occult society that hides below the surface. That's World of Darkness. It's one of the books Uh, My favorite is Werewolf the Apocalypse where you play Magical shape-shifting eco-terrorists fighting in the physical realm and in the realm of spirit to try to protect Mother Earth essentially from being killed by the forces of corruption. With all sorts of different tribes in there with different personalities. Moving on to Mage, where you're trying to... Well, usually you're trying to stop everything from unraveling itself, but sometimes you are the one trying to unravel everything. Into Hunter, where you are playing humans, hunting these terrible monstrosities that you should not be hunting. Uh, To weird stuff, really weird stuff, like Changeling, where you are humans who had sort of like the story where you fell into the realm of the Fey and you met the goblin king but the goblin king actually had was just made of 80,000 eyes and he decided you would be a great uh tree in his forest so he turned you into nothing but leaves and then one day you found a way out and now you're back in human society oh wait You were actually replaced by another creature, so you can't go home. Oh, yeah. And by the way, now you are forever sort of part tree and kind of look like a bush. How do you survive? So Yeah, hmm. man. That's wild as (laughs) fuck. It's it's a time. These are great settings. And I think that like it has survived so long because it is like there is a setting for everyone, depending on what you're into. Uh, in the World of Darkness, it's why they keep coming out with stuff for it, because people keep wanting
1: it. I think this would be a kick-ass skirmish game. And I also think there's a significant lack of, like, urban fantasy in wargaming right now. Mm-hmm. There like, is a, Like, it's an almost dead genre. It's weird. And I think World of Darkness would fit so God damn well, and I'm not just saying this because like I love it. No, but I I think it has gas. Yes, like there's a whole bunch of. I still desperately want to run a mage game. Like I desperately want to play in a like run a mage game, Joseph. I know to me,
0: mage is your go-to. For me, will always be werewolf. God, I love werewolf. Um, yeah, I, I like there's a bunch of cyberpunk games and like there's a bunch of fantasy games, but like there is very little at this particular junction uh of flavors uh i just want to paint werewolves and watch the crow all right like right right exactly uh i want to watch ginger snaps and kick the shit out of somebody with a bunch of fancy vampire minis i want to watch lost boys and paint a fucking mall goth wizard (laughs) (laughs) an actual mall ninja vampire um So I think this would be great as a skirmish game where you choose one of these sub books that you're going to play out of. Each with their own faction rules. So you are playing vampire. You are playing werewolf. You are playing mage. You are playing hunter. You are playing changeling. And there are rules supporting each of them. And you make your own force out of units that exist in those settings. So vampires with different, uh, for example, vampires have different vampiric gifts. You build those before the game starts. For werewolves, they have different, uh, well, I guess, yeah, gifts. Uh, werewolves have different, like, little magic spells you can choose, sort of. Uh, they're all different names. I'm not going to bore you with the actual terminology. Someone out there is like, no, nah, you got it wrong. Like, I know. All right, I get it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, you choose, like, your squad beforehand. You choose your mage's abilities. You choose their circles, their powers. And then you set down on a dense, multi-layered table of, you know, it could be urban, it could be forest, it could be somewhere in between, whatever you want. It could be industrial. And then you go to battle with the other person. Your force versus their skirmish force. Because in the game, this is how this works. Like, the, the overriding theme in World of Darkness is that these monsters are horrifying, but there aren't many of them. For most of them, they've been pushed into the shadows by humanity so thoroughly that their numbers are low. So it makes sense for it not to be a war game. And you take your handful of models and you throw them at each other. And for more depth and modeling flexibility, you could get deeper into these subfactions. Uh, for example, in Vampire the Masquerade, there are 13 vampire clans in the book that each have their own lore and their own motivations and their own special abilities. You could have sub within the vampire-like skirmish rules so you can choose which clan you want your vampire to come from. You could be running a clan full of Gangrel, uh, a clan full of Ventru, a clan full of Toreador. God forbid you run a clan full of Gavians. You're not sure if you're actually there. You're breaking the fourth wall. Um, but you have build diversity. Same thing for Werewolf. They got tribes. You want to play um, Children of Gaia? Sure. Here's your Children of Gaia add-on abilities. You wanna play uh, White Howlers? Sure, have at it, here you go. Um, You just, you get options, and I think it would be so, so, so fun. Um, And it would give you a whole bunch of modeling opportunities and build opportunities. And I would go nuts for it. I would just go absolutely insane. But you know. It, this one's a little more niche because it's not Halo or Gears of War or something that colossal. But I do think amongst like the nerd community, this is a fairly popular RPG. Only getting more popular it would seem with like, uh, like John mentioned, the younger generation coming up and finding some of these things. After the sort of critical role surge of RPG players. So this might actually survive if it was made. Um, and... Kind of giving this one a little more hope. White Wolf is a little more free with their IP; they aren't as uh, iron fisted about it, so they actually might green light something like this if it was put in front of them.
1: Yeah, I think that if the right—I think if something like Fancy Flight went up to them and was like, "Hey, we want to make this thing," they would. Mm-hmm. Um, hell, I even think like White White Wolf might do it for the right indie developer if the system was right. Because if you also notice, like. Their system of, like, dice pool in their tabletop RPG would probably lend itself really well. The D10? Yeah. Yeah. Like, two-way miniatures game. And I think you could make it to where it's... Exploding tens, subtracting ones. Yeah. Like, I think you can make it where it it transfers up really well and the blending between the two really works. Yeah. Not Um, to mention the boards you could make from this would be gorgeous. Ah, so wonderful.
0: So absolutely delightful, uh, and I know my wife would go absolutely nuts for it. Like, actually, a number of the ladies in our play group would be ham would like go ham sandwich on this game. Absolutely, huh? Like, didn't make that realization until just now. Might actually uh, do.
1: Well, amongst other communities, that's that's something else that I was gonna say. Is I think that World of Darkness, when it came out, also had a, did this really big thing of like diversifying a mostly predominantly white straight men hobby. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it could do that for wargaming as well, because there's a lot there in world of darkness that opens up for diversity. Yeah. I mean, it was a game made by
0: freaks and geeks for freaks and geeks at the time in the like early to mid nineties. Um, so like the idea of the marginalized, being the center focus of the game is not unknown. <laughs> it, was, it seems very intentional. Um, yeah, could pull in some players
1: that wouldn't normally get grabbed by tabletop wargaming, and I would love that. That just be great. And, and it has a lot of parallels to like you know Modern World right now. Like, oh yes, we're we are a bun- we are a tribe of werewolves fighting against corporations that are slowly murdering the planet that will cause the death of all life. Oh yeah neat <laughs> same bud
0: like, yeah yeah I'll be... no joke yeah. actually when i run werewolf the apocalypse uh i re- i do genuinely like for plot ideas i just open the news front page there is always something that is perfect perfect story fodder oh ah. what's that 18 million gallons of oil dumped off the coast of florida ah. well there you go run into it <laughs> Head to the spirit realm, y'all. um <laughs> I'm
1: just going to add a different little flavor over top of this, but it writes itself. Well, to make it a little bit more positive, uh, my last and third pick that will be a surprise to you, Joseph. Oh, Lord. I here we go. Pokemon. Fucking Pokemon? Pokemon. I think Pokemon would be fantastic. So, one of the biggest problems with wargaming is that it's very fucking hard to get kids into. Like, kids want to play it. Like, they mm-hmm. do. They're like, oh, like, little figurines, little toys I can play with, be great. Like Pokemon's the way. Because if you can make a... real Like, skirmish game, mind you. Like, five miniatures per side. Yeah, you build your team. You build your team. Like, five, six miniatures per side of your Pokemon, right? Mm-hmm. You have a... You have a somewhat, like, maybe... 8 inch tall figure for your Pokemon. 8 inch? That's big. Yeah, like think of it as a bigger model, like Dreadnought sized figure Okay. for your Pokemon. And you are fighting in an arena that is like relative size. Like you might have smaller ones. Like I'm thinking like Charizard being the size of like a Dreadnought, maybe a Pikachu being the size of like a, like a, like a Marine. Mm-hmm. I mean and Pikachu like, is the mouse Pokemon. It's got to be a little tiny. Yeah, so, like, having those Pokemon then fight each other using specific, like, plastic bits that you use to play against. Or, like, templates, right? Like, Mm -hmm. your Fire Breath will use a fire template. Your, like, other effects might use different shapes to show the area of effect or, like, what they do. Ooh, Fly could let you actually fly to avoid, like, AOE damage. Yeah, yeah. And you, when you pick, you don't just pick your Pokemon as part of list building. Like you pick your Pokemon and then you pick their moves from a, a deck of cards that they can pick from mm-hmm. or like a list of abilities they can pick from. And then that adds the depth for older players. Yeah. And it should have a suggested move set for younger players. Yeah. So, so that you, you can have like your base loadout if you just wanted to hop in and not worry about it. Yeah. But you can adjust it if you wanted to in like an advanced version of the game. I think that would do well. And considering how fucking popular the Pokemon card game is right now. It's surging. Like, like it's absolutely like, surging. Like, people would people would buy the miniatures just for the miniature. Like, they wouldn't even play the fucking game. But there'd be a shitload of people who would play the game. Yeah, I mean, again, I think my wife and
0: a couple of other ladies in our group would love that. Uh, also, which is nice, another one that I think can pull in another audience that we might not normally get. Um, like,
1: not every war game has to be like, Big boys shooting big guns, big things, man, I got daddy issues. It can be like, oh, fuck, look at this cute little creature I bought and painted, it's gonna kick your ass. I'm gonna headbutt you with this tiny
0: little fluff ball, Yow! Y'all, bitch. Like,
1: it's <laughs> That's right. Get headbutted by Eevee. Typhlosion, bitch. Like, it'd be great. Yeah, I think it actually... My favorite movie is the was Fern Gully. Uh, <laughs> Especially
0: if you, like, did up the arena ability to have, like, dangerous terrain of different types, which
1: moves could interact with in different ways. Yes. Or, like, I think that there's just a shitload of Pokemon to pick from. Like, this is a game that could continuously have releases for, like, decades. That's not considering if they keep making these new fucking games. I promise you, they will. Like, it would be amazing. Yeah, Um, I actually think that has more gas in the tank than I expected. Yeah, like I was like halfway through this episode, I was like, "Oh shit, I'm not gonna." My original was gonna gonna talk about XCOM, and I was like, "Oh shit, you know what's better than XCOM? Pokemon." Like, (laughs) I thought your third one was gonna be The Witcher. It was a Witcher, and then it was XCOM, and then it was Pokemon, like it's ADHD, John. I got 80 of them. It's great. A- poor man. But yeah, I think but, Pokemon
0: would actually be really cool. I think mean, Pokemon would be great. And you like, get to build your,
1: you know, your team of six and have at it. And then you're also gonna have people out there who go batshit insane and they have a shelf in their house that's got every single miniature that they release for these of uh, these Pokemon all along their wall. Oh, you could sell them in evolution packs.
0: Like, you know, like if you bought, for example, Charmander, you could buy the Charmander evolution pack where it's like Charmander, Charmeleon, and then all the way up to Charizard, like all three in one package. So you can choose them at different evolution levels.
1: And they could also like time the release of like... For different points. Or like, a, a like hey, we have a new game coming out here's the three starters that you get in that game that you can buy the miniatures for. Mm-hmm. And their evolutions. Um, like, or like sell, sell gym packs. Like, hey, this gym leader is and his team is here. And yeah, it's a pricey buy, but like, meh. If you're into it though. <laughs> yeah. If these are priced at like 20 bucks a pop, like 20 bucks a miniature, right? Sounds like a lot if you need six of them, but like, you know someone would pay the $20 to get this little miniature and these don't even necessarily need to be unpainted. Like, they can be painted. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's a kid-friendly game. Like, they just buy it. You might repaint it if you, like, are one of the, one of the people like us that just really like painting shit. But, like, just play the game. I would buy the hell out of a Pokemon miniatures game. I would just buy a hundred bucks for a team of my favorite Pokemon and I'll just get to fight my friends in, like, a little arena that we got? Hell yeah, I'm about it. I would. Even if I didn't
0: play the game, I'd buy an Arcanine immediately. At the gate. Like I'd buy an uh arcanine and a bulbasaur. For Just sure. Give For it sure. here. Just give it here. I'd put them on my shelf, even as a non player. I oh, that's good. Great pick, John.
1: Yes, Pokemon. Make nice
0: it pick. <laughs> they took every fiber of my being, not to say the original lot. It's okay. I held in there, John. If you know, you know. <laughs> if you know, you know, you DJ. Um, right, John. If we're going to end this episode, we can only end it one way. Yes. Uh, the thing that started it all, as it begins, so shall it end. With Samurai! Red- <laughs> Samurai! Legend of the Five Rings. All right, y'all. I, I talked about it very briefly in the last one. Uh, about how cool it is, because I do think it's it's really really cool as a setting. It is not quite like World of the Apocalypse level for me. It's probably like number two in terms of settings, but it's really good. So the idea is that Legend of the Five Rings is a tabletop RPG that people play, much like D and D or World of Darkness, where you are set in a land of Rokugan, which is like a uh, fantasized version of feudal japan and all of the players in the tabletop rpg would be playing a samurai and i mean like the the class level samurai not necessarily like everyone is sword slinged Uh, some of them could be courtiers some of the players might try to be actual like fighters and duelists and soldiers some might instead try to be monks or could try to become essentially like mages or priests beseeching the spirits, because Rokugan is a land of magic. Where the kami, the spirits of the land, exists very real in the world. The average person cannot see them, but they affect everything that happens. So not only are these things there, but they're having effects on you, and you have to keep them happy. And then around the actual kingdom, there are... Great clans that each have their own identity and history and philosophy that are just rich with fun character building ideas. And then down south is the Great Wall that is manned by one of the clans whose whole job it is to protect the empire from the bad lands to the south that is full of twisted, terrible, dark spirits. Think Oni, if you know what Oni are. They're, you know, whereas the Kamini are benevolent and sort of natural, the Oni are dark, twisted, demon-like creatures. Um, And I think this leaves a very rich opportunity to make not just a skirmish level game. I mean, you could build it as a Legion size, but I would maybe even say this could become a full army size game. Because there's just so much here. I mean, the land itself lends itself to war because that's what the tabletop RPG was based off of. I mean, it was understood that you would be in little skirmish conflicts between great clans, probably, trying to mediate peace either in court or on a battlefield. So what I think could really work is, like, for this thing, have a pool of minis that are general, that everyone could pick from. You know? uh, Bushi or uh, yari or archers uh things that every clan has you know everybody has people with swords people with spears people with bows people on horseback so you could build your force out of all these general units but then also have specialized units for each great clan because each great clan has very particular strengths and weaknesses so for example Phoenix Clan is known for their incredible mastery of the elements and magic. Well, you bet your bottom dollar they're going to have special magic units that only they get access to. Similarly, Crane Clan. They're known for their politics and their incredible duelists. Well, there you go. You're going to get a great crane duelist. You can put it in your army. No one else can get that. Or... Uh, when you also move forward, depending on your mage, maybe you get to beseech the Kami for power and for aid. And also, what I think could really help this game is, uh, we talked about it before, but this is a deeply political system. This is a deeply political world. Most of the time you played the RPG, you weren't ever touching a sword. You were doing investigation... And very, very delicate social combat in court. To deftly and subtly insult and undermine your opponents before they ever touched a battlefield. And what I think you could do with this is actually have a little sideboard that is the political board. That you have non-combat heroes that you put there. And then you use them to... Uh, You use, like, your courtiers to get effects on the table, depending on what choices you have them lobby for on the side. And different clans could get bonuses to different things. So maybe if you're, like, pushing for extra supplies at court, you get, like, extra command points, essentially. Or uh, if you're pushing for medical supplies at court, your units get healed on the tabletop. Or if you're making offerings to the commie, To try to make them pleased, you get bonuses to casting for your battlefield casters. Or maybe you are slandering the opposing general and besmirching his honor. And he gets debuffs on the field because everyone thinks he's a treacherous, honorless person. And uh, I think all of this coming together could genuinely be an incredible game. Where list building... Has like some general pool that you can pick from so it's not overwhelming in terms of book size But you also get just enough specialty from each clan and their special rules That you could have some diversity of play. I think this is one of the things that like Horus Heresy does well I wouldn't want to go that size, but like and I think it does great And on top of that John these dark commie creatures on top of being a faction Oh, wouldn't it be fun to have the rampage across a
1: battlefield smashing both groups as they play? Absolutely. Uh, and I think the other thing that this brings to the wargaming sphere is, like, it's a much more serious game, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you have stuff like Bolt Action that is more historical-based and more, like, narratively she's um, got stuff like uh, uh, ice and song of ice and fire mm-hmm. which is also similarly like much more of a serious game with like political maneuvering and like having to to play rank and file in a way that is more understandable, right yeah, It makes
0: it, sense It's grounded in low fantasy and l five yeah. r is similar for the vast
1: majority of the game and I think that that but in a non-western uh, setting is very interesting that I think we need more of that flavor. Like we were just talking about how we need more like skirmish games for like kids to play like Pokemon or like world of darkness for that urban fantasy flavor where there's still a lot of folks who get into these that want like a historical kind of war game because originally Mm -hmm. war games were built as like a thought exercise for like generals and stuff. Yeah. And this would be more akin to that right it pulls from like the history of the gaming sphere and I think that's that's interesting unlayering on top of that a very deep and in depth and thoughtful setting you know, yeah. where where every bit of the World of Warcraft setting would be like big dudes big feelings punching big villains and yuck, 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 yuck. this would be like ah yes look at this bonsai tree <laughs> Yeah, you know, we have had a minor trade dispute, and at the last
0: court, this general said that he could supply armor for my soldiers, a subtle slight, implying that I could not arm and rearm them, which is a dishonor to my lord, which I cannot allow, or it would be a dishonor to me. So now we must meet in combat, because he simply would not meet with my courtiers and threatened to slay them. A further dishonor to me and the emperor, who gently backs me, and it is an affront to the immortal empire... I can't allow it to stand. So we must go to war. Like, it is so and like,
1: much more subtle. For certain nerds, that's amazing. Like, <laughs> for, and like, you had, so you talked about the doing the, the L5R card game with your buddy and like drinking tea and doing that. That's what this feels like to me. Yes. Like Yeah. We yeah. might play one game of L5R when I come visit for like four hours, right? we we'll play a single game for four hours. But we also drank a bunch of tea and just had a time. Yeah.
0: It sounds wonderful, uh, and I would be entirely... I don't know, I would be enthralled by that concept. And the minis would be some stuff that you don't see on the
1: tabletop, usually. Yeah, and it sounds like a slow game, which mm-hmm. we're always in a search for, like, what's the fast game we can play in, like, two hours, like like, streamlined, aerodynamic. But, like, there's something to be said about playing a slow game in which... It's not so much about who's going to win the game at the end or what the end of the game is, but what you're doing throughout the game that is like a experience in itself. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mind a
0: longer experience if it is deliberate. And I think in this case, it could be. It would have to be, honestly, to fit the setting. It would, yeah. Rather than like, ah, Uber murder, alpha strike your army off the table. Uh, You know, intentionally make it not so killy. So that the game drags on a little longer. You have a little more chance for tactical decisions and maybe even make it rank and flank to fit that. Um, I don't know. I just think it could be very cool. I'd be a fan, but for people out there, I mean, we listed six of these here, some of which I think genuinely have a ton of gas in the tank, (laughs) but there are others that I am certain we missed uh, guaranteed that we missed, but for people out there listening, are there anything that as we're talking about these, one, that you're super into and you would play? If so, let us know. But two, if there's any that we missed that you were like, oh, y'all, it's right there in front of you. It's right there. You missed it. Let us know. I would actually like to hear it. Uh, if we get enough follow-up, we will do a follow-up episode just with viewer ideas, which uh, sounds wonderful.
1: Uh, and yeah, we, we will, will we'll do an entire viewer episode of like viewers tell us what they want to see as games. And we try to like... Pitch pick it. what the mechanics would be or pitch it. Yeah. Yeah. We tried to make it into a game and pitch it to the class, so to speak. I think
0: that would be amazing. Uh, links. I mean, y'all know in the comments of YouTube and social medias on Instagram or Twitter or open, let us know. We genuinely love to follow up on it. Uh, and if you've got friends out there who you want to share the podcast with, we'd always appreciate it. Really. That's how we grow. Um, but don't you worry. Next time, I don't think it'll be quite as wish listy of an episode. Although, maybe it is. I don't know, man. I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. Um, but we'll see. But don't, what I can tell you is that this has definitely been all of our opinions. And they were both bonafide and Kentucky Fried. We'll see you all in the next episode. Yeehaw.